Hey everyone, Becky from The Shift Team here, and we're back with a new mini episode to help everyone with some quick lessons to get great ideas and tools for gymnastics. Sports science, meaningful ways to use data in gymnastics. This week's mini podcast episode is a sneak peek of one of last year's Shift Symposium's guest lectures, Sports Science, Lower Back Pain in the Gymnast. This week's mini-podcast episode is a sneak peek of one of last year's Shift Symposium's guest lectures, Lower Back Pain in the Gymnast, presented by Dr. Ellen Casey, who is the sports medicine physician for the U.S. Gymnastics Women's Senior National Team. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen Casey, and I am happy to be with you virtually speaking about low back pain in the gymnast. I have no disclosures for this talk. And I want to start our discussion about low back pain in the gymnast with a case presentation that we'll come back to throughout this, this discussion. So this patient is a 15-year-old gymnast. She presents with low back pain that developed insidiously over the past six weeks. And she um, used the um, little schematic to note that with a red um, oval where her pain is. The pain has been gradually worsening and she's been unable to practice for the past two weeks and she feels the pain with arching elements and with landings, especially on hard surfaces. So what do we know about low back pain in gymnasts? We know that gymnastics has one of the highest rates of injury of all sports in all body regions, but the lumbar spine certainly is a very common place for gymnasts to have injuries. And it can account for up to, for anywhere from 40 to 80% of all injuries occurring in gymnasts at any given time. Spondylolysis, which we'll talk in, about in more detail, is the most common lumbar spine injury in gymnasts, um, and the in, incidence in gymnasts is about 20% compared to 8% for sedentary peers. So some quick anatomy review. Um, I think it's easiest to think about the um, lumbar spine elements is uh, elements that are in the anterior portion of the spine, which is the vertebral body and the disc. And then the posterior elements, um, which are important when we're talking about spondylolysis, which include um, the lamina, which is not fully shown here, the pars interarticularis, which you can see inside the red square, and the facet uh, joints, which you can see above and below in the blue squares. So you can see this both from what we would call the sagittal view, which we'll look at on imaging later. And then um, next to it right here is more the axial view, which we'll see later with imaging as well. So quick terminology review. Um, very often you'll hear people refer to a spondylolysis, which is a stress fracture in the back in a gymnast and call it a spondy. And of course that makes sense because it's a long word and obviously people want to shorten that. However, the root spondy means spine. So it doesn't actually make a lot of sense to say a gymnast has a spondy because hopefully she does have a spine. Um, however, lysis um, is a break. And in this case, uh, it's a break in what, where this yellow arrow is pointing to, which is the pars interarticularis, which is a portion of the posterior elements. So when you add them together, you have a spondylolysis um, or a break in that particular bone. If there is a spondylolysis on both sides, the right and the left of the pars interarticularis, um, there can be a slippage of one vertebrae, usually the L5, on the sacrum, as you can see in this picture here. That's called spondylolisthesis. 
Listhesis means slippage, and again, spondine means spine. Um, so, you know, not that you have to necessarily use these terms with your gymnast, but it's important to know some of the, the, the terms so that we can make sure we're all speaking about the same thing. The proposed mechanism of lumbar spondylolysis in gymnasts or in any athlete is that it's a fatigue fracture. And a lot of times, um, you know, I certainly was taught in medical school that it's the repetitive extension that loads the posterior elements and causes the stress fracture. Um, but cadaveric studies have suggested that it's really the repetitive movement from full flexion to full extension over and over and over again, like in a series, um, like a back handspring layout, for example, and high numbers of that could load the pars interarticularis enough to develop a fracture. So when we think about lumbar spondylolysis specifically, um, we know that this is the most common cause of low back pain in the pediatric athlete. The overall prevalence, so athletes and non-athletes, runs from about 6 to 11.5%. Um, and the incidence is about 40% of adolescent athletes in low back pain with low back pain. So the point here is, you know, if you take a random adolescent um, off the street and they're not even an athlete, um, the overall prevalence of them having a spondylolysis is up to almost 12%. But if you take an adolescent athlete who has back pain, the likelihood, the possibility of them having a spondylolysis is much higher. There was one study done in 2006 that looked at national team female gymnasts in the United States, and 16% of those gymnasts had a spondylolysis um, seen on MRI as well. So um, we know a couple other things about spondylolysis. We know that males are two to three times more likely than females to develop uh, this issue. But of course, in gymnasts, I feel like we see it more in females than males just due to the nature of the training. And as I mentioned, you can have that slippage with a spondylolisthesis. And so what we know about the progression to a spondylolisthesis is that it isn't always painful. Sometimes people might have pain or they might develop neurologic symptoms such as pain radiating to the legs, numbness, tingling, worse yet, bowel or bladder dysfunction. Um, but oftentimes it's not painful or symptomatic at all. If the slip is going to progress, it's usually during a growth spurt. So it's important to be um, thinking about that as athletes grow. And we know that about 15% of those with a bilateral spondylolysis will progress to a spondylolisthesis, and this is more likely in females than males. So why is gymnastics a sport in which we see such high um, incidence of spondylolysis? Well, one, we have repetitive loading in the sagittal plane. So as I showed in the um, tumbling series on beam previously, and you can see in these pictures, that not only the loading in extension, but the repetitive load from flexion to extension can be an issue. High impact landings and high volume of those landings, as well as um, often um, gymnasts are like dancers in the category of having prioritized flexibility and range of motion over stability or um, maybe even dynamic stability, kind of controlling that motion with the you know, core musculature. So I, I know my video is on top of this picture, but this is like the classic collegiate salute. And a lot of times athletes are sort of relying on the passive structures, so the posterior elements and the ligaments to sort of control that motion um, rather than the, the dynamic stabilizers such as the muscles. And so those are all potential biomechanical demands associated with gymnastics that can increase low back pain and spondylolysis. 
Additionally, training load certainly has a big um, role in spondylolysis as this is a fatigue or overuse fracture. We know that gymnastics has one of the lowest ages of uh, sports specialization compared to, to many other sports. And some of the work um, that we've done looking at gymnasts, just surveying them about Achilles tendon ruptures, we asked about um, you know the age at which they specialized. And these were all collegiate gymnasts and mo the majority specialized by the age of eight, which is way younger than most other sports. So early sports specialization, high volume of training, and you can certainly see that, you know, even, um, you know, high level nines, tens and elites are training in the 30, sometimes 40 hours per week. And then the lack of periodization. So this, there's this chronically high workload um, that certainly can get higher during certain times, but it really rarely dips down um, to maybe let bone, which is a dynamic tissue, sort of um, build itself back up after the repetitive stresses. Um, and so these are a variety of factors that might lend itself to why spondylolysis is so common in the um, gymnast. So back to our case presentation, Re recall this is our 15-year-old who comes in with six weeks of gradually worsening low back pain. She's been able to, unable to practice fully due to this pain, and her pain is with um, extension or arching elements and landing. So some of the things that I will uh, build into my template when I'm interviewing a gymnast um, about their pain is like any other sports injury, have they had any recent changes to their training? New skills, new equipment, new landing services, new coaching. Did they go to a camp? Did they, um, you know, um, change gyms, for example? And has anything changed with their training load? Do they have any other history of prior spine or other injuries? So oftentimes um, you'll see gymnasts maybe have an ankle injury, so they've changed their activity. And then as they return to gymnastics, they might develop low back pain, perhaps if they ramped up too quickly. Um, and then it's helpful to know, are the training modifications helping? So oftentimes there are specific um, skills or positions that will hurt with spondylolysis. And if they stop doing those, that will help, which is a good indicator that that might be what's going on. And then because this is a bone stress injury, while there has been no clear relationship between the female Ashley triad and relative energy deficiency in sport questions, it's if this um, is a, in particular female gymnast, you want to certainly ask about nutrition, menstrual cycle, um, and prior bone stress injuries. Um, so this uh, is just a little bit of a chart of the way that we could kind of put types of back pain or causes of low back pain into certain categories. So um, I often try to figure out, is there a directional preference to an athlete's pain? So do they hurt with flexion, meaning tucking or bending or somersault flipping um, maneuvers? Or do they hurt with extension? So that's going to be more arching. So bridge, back walkover, arabesque, back handspring. Or do they hurt with transitional activities, which might be changing positions, rolling over in bed, or in gymnastics, it might be a takeoff, a landing, hitting the springboard. Um, and so kind of going through the different you know, body positions and what hurts them gives me some information from the history and then lets me know where to really focus my exam and what I'm thinking about that might be the source of pain. If you want to hear the rest of this lecture, you can access it on the SHIFT website. The 2023 SHIFT Symposium runs from Friday, June 23rd to Sunday, June 25th, where you can learn everything you need to know about gymnastics medical care, gymnastics coaching, and gymnastics strength and conditioning. So don't miss out. Head over to shiftmovementscience.com.
everyone. Thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.